Hey, thanks for checking out the So What Factor. My name's Randy Bennett. I'm a United Methodist pastor, and these sermons answer the question, I hope, so what? So what? Is God real? So what am I supposed to do with my life? So what does the Bible actually say? So in every sermon, it's my hope that you'll figure out what the so what is. But if you don't know, or it wasn't clear, feel free to find me on Facebook at Randy Bennett Jr., and shoot me a message. You can also email me at pastorrandybennett at yahoo.com. Be happy to hear your questions and, and, uh, and connect with you. So thanks for listening. Take care and God bless. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for the cornerstone and rock of faith for the good news that there is more to life than life on earth, for the heaven that comes not only after this walk with Jesus, but right now as we walk with Jesus. And so, Lord, I ask now that you take the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, and make them wholly yours, so that in this place and space today, we might enter a holy dialogue with you, that together we might grow in grace and in the knowledge and love of Jesus, These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin today's sermon by talking about the word discipleship. It's one of those Christianese words that we throw around a lot, but I'm not always sure that that people get what it means to, to disciple, to be a disciple, and to be in discipleship. And I think it's going to be important just to hit this quickly before we get into the meat of today's sermon. We become children of God. By trusting in Jesus and professing that he is the son of God who died for our sin and was resurrected the third day. That's how we become children of God. We become disciples of Jesus Christ by surrendering ourselves to him, taking up our cross and following him daily. In other words, to be saved does not mean you are a disciple. Hear that again, because this is where Christianity, especially over the last couple of hundred years, has really fallen short and missed the mark. Everything has gone into saving people, and we forget that they've got to be discipled, otherwise it don't really quite count. To be saved does not mean you're a disciple. As Warren Wiersbe says, discipleship saves us from the tragedy of a wasted life. Discipleship saves us from the tragedy of a wasted life. Today, I'm going to be talking about the journey to discipleship as we continue our series on Mark, the A-theme. The Arisen Jesus foreshadowed part two, the glory of I am. If you recall, a few weeks ago, we did part one, victory over death. Now, today's scripture lesson is the second time Jesus foreshadows his resurrection. And it will be the first time that he predicts his suffering and death. Jesus is now slowly and methodically making his way to Jerusalem for the last time. The disciples do not yet know what lies ahead, but Jesus does. And he begins preparing them 
for his journey of both suffering and glory. On the way, on the way there, we find a journey to discipleship with Jesus. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Who do people say I am? Those outside the kingdom of God are still faced with this question today, aren't they? Those outside the kingdom, they're still faced with this question. Who do people say Jesus is? You asked anybody lately? Who do people say Jesus is? Some say he was a good man. Some say he was a teacher. Some say he was a hippie. Some say he was a revolutionary. I posed this question to somebody close to me and they said, the question is too uncomfortable to talk about with my friends. Who do people say Jesus is? I've often found, by the way, that um, people don't really have a problem with Jesus. It's Christianity they often have a problem with. Jesus, they're all just okay with him. Jesus goes on to ask, who do you, who do you say I am? But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Oh, Peter. I like Peter. Get along with Peter. I understand Peter. See, I got a big mouth like Peter did. I just put my foot in it all the time. As you're going to see today, Peter puts his foot in his mouth because that's what he does. He's good at that. Now that word Christ, Christos in the Greek, means anointed one. You are the anointed one, Jesus uh, is said by Peter. You're the anointed one. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Why? Why did Jesus do that? Because, see, they didn't fully understand yet. They didn't fully understand what it meant for Jesus to be the anointed one. The Christ, the Messiah. They didn't fully understand that yet. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Jesus goes on and says, let me tell you who I am. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this to them. Let me tell you who I am. They've seen Jesus in action. They've seen how He rolls. He can raise people from the dead. He can heal people. He can cast out demons. He can speak and teach with authority. All of that. And now Jesus says, let me tell you about who I am. I'm going to have to suffer. Now Peter took him aside and he rebuked him. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? Are you for real, dude? Did you see Jesus stone? He calmed the storm with a word. He got up, sleep in his eyes. He's like, peace be still. Right, come on, Peter. You're going to rebuke. Okay. All right. All right. Jesus, you shouldn't talk like that. 
When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he would be Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have anything in mind, the things of God, but the things of men. Now, now, was Peter actually Satan? No. But Satan certainly had tempted Peter into doing something that was against the will of God. So Jesus quickly rebuked and corrected him. Let me tell you who I am. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Let me tell you who I am. And then Jesus goes on. Now that you know who I am, if you want to follow me, you will have to be like I am. By the way, if you haven't caught the subtlety yet, I keep throwing in I am. Just hang on to that in the back of your little mind. Maybe you got a big mind. I think little because I'm not that smart. I'm pretty, not smart. <laughs> now that you know who I am, if you want to follow me, you will have to be like I am. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he or she must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now look, I think sometimes in Christian circles we think that to deny ourselves is to do without something. Or maybe even do without many things. We're getting ready to start Lent. Anybody giving something up for Lent? Good. Don't do it. I wouldn't either. Why? I mean, you can. That's fine. Whatever. That, that's not really uh, taking up the cross. <laughs> to deny yourself is not self-rejection. It's not self-hatred. It's not, it's not keeping yourself from doing this, that, or the other thing. It, it, it's not even disowning particular sins or giving something up for a season. To deny yourself is to renounce the self as the dominant element in your life. It's to replace the self with the God in Christ as the object of your affection. It's to place the divine will before self-will. And I don't know about anybody else here, but that, that seems to appear to me to be taking a lifetime to master Jesus said that to follow Him, to be like Him, means to give something up like He did. When we think about what Jesus gave up, we always think about Him giving up His life. But in reality, Jesus gave up so much more. He gave up His throne. He gave up His throne. He came and He took on human flesh. The image of the invisible God, the image in which we have been created to bear, Himself became an image bearer. Jesus gave Himself up and in doing so modeled what it means then to deny ourselves. You see, brothers and sisters, the journey of discipleship requires something. It requires something. It's true, Jesus loves you and you can't do nothing about it. But the journey of discipleship, now that requires something. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, 
didn't we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. See, the journey of discipleship requires following Jesus. There's more to salvation than repentance and confession of sin. There's more to salvation than profession of faith. Salvation requires following Jesus. Even the Old Testament prophet Micah says as much. He has shown you, O people, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly, walk humbly with your God. See, to profess Jesus as Lord, but not begin and to continue the process of giving up your life to follow Jesus is the epitome of selfishness. Oh, I know this is not a feel-good sermon. Mm. Ain't nothing funny happened to nothing. To follow Jesus is to carry discipleship's cross humbly behind our God who first carried his cross. Jesus tells us that to not follow him on the journey of discipleship is to literally risk the future of our soul. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for his or her soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when when he comes in his Father's glory with all the angels. Jesus is saying that to not follow him on this journey of discipleship is to say we are ashamed of Jesus. Now, in the midst of all that tough loving, Jesus also goes on to foreshadow that there's more to discipleship than cross-carrying. Isn't that good news? It's tough. But there's more to discipleship than cross-carrying. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Now with this statement, Jesus foreshadows the scene of his transfiguration, which we're getting ready to take a look at next in this narrative. But this also foreshadows the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the promise, listen, and the promise that if we will just hang in there, on the journey of discipleship with Jesus. If we'll just hang in there, we will experience the power that goes along with discipleship as well as the reward. So let's quickly recap this feel-good sermon, shall we? Here's where we've been on the discipleship journey so far. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Let me tell you who I am. Now that you know who I am, if you will follow me, you will have to be like I am. And six days after his teaching on discipleship, Jesus follows up with this. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you who I am. 
After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. Remember, he took them before, didn't he? He took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could possibly bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. If you ain't noticed this, by the way, yet from Scripture, let it sink in now. Whenever God's people go up on a high mountain in the Bible, there's always a divine revelation. Moses went up the mountain and encountered the great I Am for the first time in the burning bush. And the I Am said, go to Pharaoh and tell him I Am has sent you. And then later on Mount Sinai, Moses encountered again when he received the law. Now Elijah, Elijah spent 40 days and nights in the desert before coming to Mount Oreb, the mountain of God. There the Lord led the prophet to a cave high up in the mountain and then spoke to him still small voice. Moses is the embodiment of God's law in this passage that we're looking at right now. And remember when Moses came off that mountain after he received the law? Y'all remember what, what the word for what was on his face? Shekinah. The glory of God was shining on his face. So bright he had to cover it with a veil. How about Elijah? Elijah is the embodiment of all the prophets. So you have the law and the prophets here. What happened to Elijah? Right? He was taken in a glorious chariot of fire into heaven. That boy didn't even die. God just came down in fire and took him on up. Both Moses, Moses and Elijah, both of them experienced the glory of God, a glory which was reflected in their lives. But Jesus, y'all, Jesus was transfigured, meaning there was a metamorphosis. The actual glory of God was just underneath Jesus' skin. He wasn't a reflection of God's glory. He is God's glory. He is God's glory. Now for the second time in Mark's gospel, the arisen Jesus is foreshadowed by revealing His glory. The same I am that spoke to Moses in a bush and shined His glory upon Moses' face. The same I am that spoke to Elijah and then took him in a glorious fire into heaven. The same I am is Jesus. The glory of I am is Jesus. And what happens next in the story? We experience the response of a goober. <laughs> oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. Peter, Peter. Peter said to Jesus, oh, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's, let's put up three shelters. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Clearly. That's why I love Peter. He's goober, y'all. I mean, which one is it, Peter? Is Jesus Christ or Rabbi? 
Is this Jesus merely a rabbi, which means esteemed teacher? Or is he the Christ that you already confessed him to be, Peter? Which one is it? See, clearly the moment was more than Peter could process. So he offers to put up three tents. Uh, some, some translations say three booths. Maybe he's recalling the Feast of Tabernacles where they, they set up booths. I don't know. He's also trying to prolong this situation. He's trying to make sense of it. Hey, let's hang out together, y'all. Uh, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, good you guys are here. Hey, somebody, somebody, Jesus, why don't you make us some wine? I don't know what Peter's wanting to do here. Okay, but he's wanting to prolong this experience. Maybe to grasp, grasp it, I don't know. But here's the problem, y'all. Here's the problem with what Peter offers to do here. You see, to put up three shelters implies equality among the three. Are Moses and Elijah equal to Jesus? No. The three aren't equal. Jesus is the great I am. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. As if on cue, the father interrupts the moment. Listen to my son, the great I am. Y'all, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He's the great I am. He unifies the whole of the Bible. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and everything in the middle. Suddenly, when they looked around, there were no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Where'd the other two go? Where'd they go? They were just there. Where'd they go? It doesn't matter where they went. It wasn't about Elijah. It wasn't about Moses. It was all about Jesus. Well, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders, again, not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matters to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. It means you... You were dead and you're not, but that's never mind. <laughs> what I love about that is it it reminds me of our humanity as disciples. You see, because following after Jesus means wrestling with what he says. It means wrestling with what he says and not walking away in fear or frustration. It means wrestling with what Jesus says. We're meant to wrestle with what Jesus says. We're meant to ponder what Jesus says. We're meant to hang in there with the difficult things that we don't understand and go ahead and make ourselves look dumb. Hey, you want me to set up a couple of tents? It's all right. Jesus wants us to wrestle with that. How do you think Israel got its name? Following after Jesus means wrestling with what He says and not walking away when we're scared or frustrated or just don't understand. And the disciples, y'all, the disciples would continue wrestling with the words of Jesus even after His ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. In fact, generations upon generations since then have continued to wrestle with Jesus' word. How can a disciple grow in his or her understanding of Jesus Christ if we don't wrestle with who Jesus is and who we are in light of Jesus? By the way, many years after Jesus' resurrection, Peter would write these words to Christians struggling under the weight of carrying their own crosses. 
Peter would write, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we were told about the power, when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard that voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain, Peter recalls, and he writes. And Peter, my favorite goober from the Bible, Peter would continue to grow in his understanding of discipleship, of following Jesus, because he would continue wrestling with who he was in light of who Jesus is. The great I am. And at the end of Peter's life, when it was time for Peter to literally carry his cross, tradition holds that Peter asked the Roman authorities to crucify him upside down. So as not to disrespect the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the other side of Peter's suffering and death, what did the disciple and the apostle experience? The majesty and glory of Jesus, the great I am. And that's his word seriously considered this day for the Church of Christ community. All thanks and praise be to the great I am, now and forever. Amen.